was toting my pack along the dusty Winnemucca Road When along came a semi with a high-end canvas-covered load If you're going to Winnemucca Mac with me, you can ride And so I climbed into the cab and then I settled down inside You're amazing, Rump. You're amazing. Oh, I gotta start working out so I can sing better. Oh, all right, all you assholes out there, we have the absolute greatest of all time. Um, a man who changed the business, changed the way things uh, came across to the public, brought a whole nother level of entertainment on the announcing side uh, to the rodeo business. I mean, these are all just my humble opinions, but they're also facts. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great Bob Tallman. Hi, buddy. Awesome to have Hi, you, buddy. Oh man, this is I so am cool. so proud of you singing that song. <laughs> I've changed a few diapers too, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there uh, we got uh, <clears throat> Gus's poppy over here. Yeah, where is my boy? Hey, he went home. Uh, he went home. Mom, mom's got a real job, but so. he'll be back. Yep, they're coming back this weekend. That's we are, good. we are in Houston still, and uh, so we we have uh, limited time with the man because he's he's a very very busy man but we're we're very honored to have you here bob and uh and and in rump check-esque let's start off with we have no idea what we sat down and said what are we going to talk about well where do you want to start well, and we're like we have no plan so let's go what i want to do i want to, uh, bob to talk kind of about the 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 early beginnings because so many time uh in different you know places i hear different podcasts you know it's kind of catch you up right now but like you see a lot of young announcers, and you see a ton of them, but, like, these young guys coming up with their start shirts, and, <laughs> you know, like, they're barely, they've got their card one year, and they've got, like, a 40-foot-long trailer, and they've got all their endorsements on, you know, like, that wasn't how it used to be, all right? No, 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 no. So, I want, Bob, I want you to start well, off this room well, chat talking about the early days well, of Bob Tallman. Yeah, let's go back even farther, because I do know some back history of, of, of the man I call Poppy. So, um, and we played that song at the beginning because he is from originally Winnemucca, Nevada, although he is called uh, Baker, Oregon, home, and uh, Weatherford, Texas, home, now Poolville, America, just north of Weatherford. So Beautiful um, downtown Poolville. So, uh, he grew up in Winnemucca, Nevada. Um, what about your childhood? You know, what, what now well, you've had, you had some interesting jobs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had an, inter- I had an interesting childhood. I was actually raised 55 miles on a gravel road from Winnemucca, Nevada, to a place called Oravada, huh. Nevada. Went to a one-room schoolhouse, eight grades, one teacher, and uh, we boarded the uh, Paiute Indian Reservation. So my first grade school picture, which I have one picture, um, there was a little plaid shirt with a rope in my hand, <laughs> me and two Basque, two Basque kids, Dodie and Jock McKirk, and the rest were all 
my Indian friends that lived, most of them lived at the ranch with us because we lived on the res, and my dad had Paiute Indian help. And uh, we did everything with, with horse mules. Big. I hated them. Oh, they kick in. And then we did everything with the horse mules. <laughs> Daytime, nighttime, wintertime, summertime, put up hay with a sickle bar more. Okay, so I come from the rut of yesterday's field of agriculture and never had a pony. Okay? Huh. No. When you're a kid with me, well, we didn't start school until October. We got all the cattle home off the ranges, everybody running commons. And in April, we'd turn out, so all the kids were a horseback because it cost $2 a day then to hire a cowboy, cowgirl. And the school teacher was, uh, she was, who's still alive today. Um, <laughs> Your school teacher yes. still alive. Yes, she's God plus 90. Oh, yeah. Tilly Boynton, Tilly Boynton Gettner. Wow. Um, yeah, she uh, huh. had a stroke the other day and is just as beautiful as ever was. Now. In those days, when you, you rode a big horse, okay, just like everybody else, a buckaroo horse, they'd rope them for you in the morning, and they'd squeal and go to kicking and farting and jumping and uh, try to tear everything down. But what they did is they tied our stirrups down, okay? They had a, a, a strap went underneath it, like an extra cinch. So if a horse go to bucking with you, you, all you had to do is just pull up on that saddle horn like a night strap and hang on until one of them older buckaroos would come along, and half the time they'd beat you to death. Instead of whopping the horse on the butt <laughs> and um, screaming and hollering and cussing was a second language. I actually was trilingual. My mother and my grandmother, who raised us kids, my sister, who's four years younger than me, spoke Swiss Italian because they came through Ellis Island in 1911. Then um, my dad is a German Indian, and he cussed 90% of the time. A German Indian? German Indian. Is yeah. that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My my grandmother, uh, Grandma Grace, was a three-quarter Cherokee Indian. I'll be hmm. damned. Yeah, I did not pretty know cool. that. Yeah. I'm proud of my heritage. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. But anyway, so if you didn't cuss, eat jerky, uh, which we'll get into some other day, um, if you didn't cuss and eat jerky and knew how to take a cancer-eyed cow and take an eye out and fill it full of KRS... And the dogs that eat the cancer, I died. Never saw a dog die. <laughs> <clears throat> and you did everything the hard way. 30, 40 below in the wintertime. Okay, no cabs, no tractors. Everything, horse mules. Pitched hay on, put hay up with a derrick. Took it off, put it on the wagon. I drive the team. I hated it when it was the end of the load because you're freezing to death. Five, six, seven years old, all you do is hold on the reins. So that's the way I was raised. We moved to town when I was 11 years old. My dad had a horse buck him off, break his back, so we had to move to town. He bought a lumber yard, and life just went on from there. But you got to understand something. You have a different appreciation in life for mechanics. When you're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, and everything's done with horses and horse mules, and harness, and squealing, and kicking, and runaways, and rode with my mother on a dump rake, and when one of them teams had run away, all she'd do is take, uh, she'd throw the rein over her shoulder, and she and I would take a hold of a right or a left rein, and you'd just take them mules, and you'd go to the willows. Because if you're running a rake, you could hang it up. If you're running a sickle bar more, you could leave it down and run into those willows, and it would stop you. And then here'd come my dad cussing and screaming and get him backed out, and we'd get him whooped up, and away we went, and we'd go cut some more hay, rake some more hay, stack some more hay. In the wintertime, you didn't have to have worried about him running away in deep snow. Yeah. So... Those are the kind of memories that I have. In a one-room schoolhouse, the greatest memory I have, besides a big pot-bellied stove, no electricity, 
Okay, that stove was the way it was, and that was the light kerosene lanterns. And um, so when you live through that and you've seen men on the moon, and today you have the technology that we have at this studio right here on Hammy's Kitchen Table, and that you and I and he work with through him, and uh, Boyd and Andy and I work with it at Houston, and it's absolutely amazing. The new Dickies Arena. Yep. Think about where I came from and where I am today, what I've seen and what I've tasted and dealt with and grown with is absolutely amazing. I don't want to walk on the moon, but I remember watching a guy walk on the moon. Mm -hmm. Now, within all those time frames and going to town, I'd never rode a bicycle. I'd never shot marbles. I'd never played kickball. I'd never played baseball. And I was a little guy. When I was a freshman in high school, I stood 5'1", weighed 105 pounds. I lasted three days in high school football. All my friends were bigger than me and beat me to death. And I took that mouthpiece, that helmet, and that set of pads that they had to tape together to put on me because I was so small and told that football coach, Chuck Walker, uh, where he could put them and if they fit in there <laughs> sideways. I said, y'all are killing me. But I could go to ride a bucking horse or rope. I could do all that rodeo stuff because I was raised with it. My dad was a wild horse racer and an old bronc rider. And I was not afraid of that. And if I made a mistake, I didn't have to run 20 laps in those big cleated shoes that didn't fit me. Mm -hmm. Well, so you didn't do all that. What did you do for fun? I, I, you know, yeah. what, what, as a kid, you know, like we shot BB guns at each other. You know, oh. what, what kind of shit did you get in? In Winnemucca. In Winnemucca, Nevada, 55 right. miles from Winnemucca in Orville, Nevada. You or, know, or Vada. Or Vada. I learned. Sorry. I learned how to play golf because of BB guns. You ready for this? <laughs> this is a Talmud thing. Yeah, I learned how to play golf. I learned how to play golf. I knew how to rope. I knew how to ride. I knew how to be a cowboy, and I had a bicycle. And I did all that kind of stuff. But three or four of my friends were uh, out on the highway, uh, Highway 80, when it was still a two-lane highway, and we were shooting out lights underneath an, a big uh, sign. You know, a neon sign like today, you know, like billboards. You in Sydney, Iowa right there. Yeah, but it was just a sign and it had lights come on at night. And so we were bored and we were hanging out, shooting whatever we could shoot at, from butterflies to flies to, you know. Lights. And, and lights. And so we were popping these lights out of this deal. Here come the sheriff. <laughs> well, that sign happened to be on the golf course that was on the highway. So when you got in trouble in Winnemuc as a kid, the sheriff would take you home. He'd kick your butt, your daddy would kick your butt, your mother would yell at you, and the next day you went back to normal living. Okay, And I'm serious. The yeah. sheriff or the chief of sure, police, sure. That, that's the way it was. And you took a good butt whoop. Yeah, it was worse. They'd kick your ass. It jail. was kicked for a, yeah, a long time. <laughs> so we didn't have a detention center. We got one later when I was in high school, and I helped build it so I knew I wasn't going to have to go into it. But <clears throat> so the punishment of that is the three of us had to go and clean golf clubs, clean shoes, shine shoes, clean in the clubhouse and pick up range balls. OK, now part of the deal that we were throwing at those lights or shooting at them was range balls that we had stole off the golf course. We borrowed them because we needed ammunition. Right. And um, so it had to do it for two weeks. Well, after two weeks. I got to playing golf, and I liked it. And I didn't mind shining shoes because then I got tips. And, you know, I mean, a 50-cent tip, 1960, uh, 
that was a lot of money. That could go. You could go somewhere yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean, you could buy some ice cream, take your girlfriend to the movie. <laughs> so I stayed and I learned how to play golf. Now this is a whole new game. Okay. Even though I lived, <coughs> pardon me, about three blocks from the golf course, out in the sagebrush, and it was a uh, nine-hole golf course, still there today, Winnemucca, Nevada. Um, I learned how to play golf, and I, but when I was fifteen, I had a six handicap. I mean, damn, I, is that? I don't know. Is that good? That's, that's really good. good. Really, Means you good. Sh- shoot your averages six over par. Yeah, that's good. Ooh, no idea. Yeah. And so what I would do is I'd pick up range balls and I'd hit four or five hundred of them, and then I go pick them up and I'd take them in, do my chores, and um, ten bar. Ten bar. Yeah, in the golf club. But God. I I could play golf and I had to make a decision later in life, not much later when I was a freshman sophomore in high school. Was I going to go on and play golf? Dummy, no. I wanted to go rope calves and ride calves. So so did you? Where do you think your uh... Your where does your personality because it is the, scattered. The, it, where does it? No, it's bright and shining and 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 you're an extrovert. You're not an introvert. Oh, totally. So does that? Where does that come from? You think? I think it comes from being raised the way I was raised, and in order to get attention, um, you had to do something outside the box. I that's well, I yeah, can say if, that for if you that's think how about you it, and I are. But yeah. yeah. But you know, back then, at before the Facebook and iPads, just and a Cartoon bit. Network, and hell, this was rotary phone time, black and white television. I was eleven years old before we lived in a house that had a flush toilet, and then we got TV, Old Sylvania with a white tube around it. Uh, Channel Eight KOLO TV came on, and there was a guy in kind of a suit smoking. Reading the news. I thought his name was Jesus. I didn't. <laughs> Where was this guy? Where'd he come from? You couldn't touch him, but you could listen to him. <laughs> thought he was Jesus. Well, I mean, you know, it, it coming out of heaven someplace. Bob yeah, Carroll we, was his name. Channel 8, KOLO TV, Reno, Nevada. That's pretty cool, though, like when you could smoke on TV. and Oh, man. You know. Oh, and they did. Like, everybody did back then. Like, everybody it was a, smoked. It was an easier time. They said that, like, uh, even back in Abbeville and... Way back in the day, they would smoke at church. In Kansas? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Uncle Tommy still does, but, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> I love your Uncle Tommy. <laughs> oh, God. Well, Tommy. Big Hi, Tom, Uncle Tommy. My buddy. So, um, going back to jobs. Now, Winnemucca is known for many things, but I would say the biggest thing is the cat houses. Yeah, fine. Legal. So, legal the legal. cat houses. Yeah. Meow. Yeah, meow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> so, um, tell us about your experience around those. And Well, and- I had this bicycle and had a basket. And my dad had this lumber yard, and he used to do the books for those ladies. And I'm going to tell you something, boys. I was raised in a time, and it was ladies. And they were businesswomen. And I used to go on Monday or Tuesday after school. And get their big yellow manila envelopes. This is when I was introduced to those. I still use them today. Um, and get their bank accounts and take them to the First National Bank in Winnemucca and make the bank deposits. And then I'd take a copy of that back to them and I'd take a copy of that to back to my dad. Okay? As a financial advisor, so forth and so on. But I'm going to also tell you something else. 
St. Paul's Catholic Church needed a new roof. It got paid for by cash. And I'm going to tell you where that cash came from. Hmm. Some, If there was a horrible thing that happened in that community, it got paid for by cash. And those ladies, those madams, they took care of that community. It was, I'm serious. That's amazing. I see the two of you looking at me like, no shit. No, no I believe I, you. Yeah. That, it just, that blows my mind. Like, it is. Like, you know, um, because I've been in that church many, many times and seen who's sitting in the front row, and I know of the tithing that came out of that. And they didn't do it for protection. They did it because that's the kind of people that they were. Now, you got to understand, I was born, baptized, confirmed, and married in the same church. And that all started 60, uh, 70 years ago. Wow. Okay? Wow. My mother and my grandmother sat when you went in in the left-hand two back pew, first two seats. They sat there forever. And I, when I used to have to go to confession, and I was an older boy in mm -hmm. that church, oh, yeah. my grandmother would go with me, and if I, I used to have to, I, I'd make up. You know, bless me, Father, I have sinned. I stole a bicycle. And he goes, no, you didn't. You got a bicycle. Because, you know, <laughs> when, when you ride your bike to catechism and then the, and the priest sees it and knows it and you tell him you stole a bicycle, no, you didn't. So I'd just visit with him because he'd come to my house sometimes on Sundays for, uh, for, for, for dinner. Yeah, for dinner. Yeah. That's the way it was. Absolutely. But um, so did the Baptist preacher. I mean, that you, you lived in a town of 2,000 people. Everybody knew everybody. Nobody locked their doors. If you were hungry, um, I could, you know, I could go anywhere I wanted and get something to eat, lunch, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. If I was scared, there was always a back door to go into. If I needed a ride, somebody would always take me. That's, hmm. that's the kind of community that it was then. And it still has some of that feel today. Is it, is it bigger? Like, what is, I have never been there. It's, well, you go from Lovelock, Reno to Lovelock, there to Battle Mountain, Battle Mountain to Elko to Wells, or you go north to Twin Falls, Idaho on Interstate 80 to 395, leaves out of there and goes to McDermott to Burns, Oregon. Then into Marcine and Caldwell and Nampa and Boise, Idaho. Man, I, I gotta, I got to make a point to go through Winnebucca, Nevada now. When's the last time you've been through there? I go through there every summer. Wayne Brooks and I go to Calgary from Reno, and my sister's building a new home there, and she's back living there now. And uh, we go and we stay. Here's the deal: um, Boot Barn's a big part of my life, and they have a big store there. And I park in the Boot Barn parking lot, <laughs> and I walk across the street to um, see my mom and dad and my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law and my grandfather and other family members in um, the cemetery. Right. It's a big cemetery. So it's a known fact um, that the day when Reno's over, over on a Saturday night, Sunday, we go there and we stop and we catch some lunch. Uh, we might go see some people and then we take off. Sometimes we go 395 North. And uh, go to Calgary that way. Sometimes we go to the east and then go up through Twin Falls because we like to stay at this place on the river, on uh, the Boise River. And uh, it's it's a cool place. It's a one-of-a-kind place. And uh, I could show you some pictures that make your mouth water. But I can also show you some pictures when there's an inch and a half of snow on the ground. The wind's blowing 70 miles an Ooh. hour out of the northwest. And it'll be 30 to 40 below with a wind chill. It's like Guymon, Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. During the rodeo in May. <laughs> so when you think about all those kind of upbringings. <clears throat> yeah. Let me take you to 19, um, <clears throat> well, 50 years ago. 
When, it, well, when, when was that? Kristen and I got married. 50, 50. 50 years ago in St. Paul's. Yeah, you just went on your honeymoon. Yeah. So that'd be 1970. Yeah, 69. Yeah. December. December 1969. So I was trying to rope and ride in the NCA, Nevada Cowboys Association, the ICA, in Idaho, a little the CCA in California. <coughs> and I was a hell of a six second bucking horse rider. Little weenie arm ain't no bigger today. Okay, but I could rope calves and I could team rope. I rope good. But um, it financially was eating me alive. And I worked for my dad in the lumber yard. I was a brakeman on the Western Pacific Railroad from Winnemucca south to Oakland, from Winnemucca east to Salt Lake City. And that happened when I was 16 years old. They hired 10 of us kids. A bunch of my friends, it was B of RT, Brotherhood of Railroad Trainmen, first union I ever belonged to. Then became a union member driving a truck. I worked for the Western Pacific Railroad as a brakeman. I drove truck for the Southern Pacific Railroad and then went to work for my dad in a lumber yard and played cowboy in between. It was a full life. <laughs> Damn. Golly. Yeah. It's so, like unbelievable. Hey, I was 16 years old. I bought a brand new Ford truck and the third trailer that was ever made by Caldwell, Idaho, trailer manufacturer. Uh, let me think. I'll come Calico, back. Calico, wasn't it? No. Um, anyway. I made $6,000 when I was 16 years old. That'd be like making sixty grand today. So did it pay good to be a brakeman? Yes. Did yes, you wear the, overalls with the hat? Like, And I no, mean that serious. I didn't. No, I just wore, you know, like Wrangler jeans and well, I mean, cowboy boots. 16-year-old with $6,000 in his hand. Yeah. What'd you get into? Um, I didn't have time to get it in any trouble. How much I, did a Ford pickup cost back then? $4,200. I'm trying to get him to do trying to get him into some wild stories but i know those are coming oh up. hey hey i know those are coming up when when you're 16 years old if you had money you could and put it on the greenfield table um you could oh you, you gambling. could gamble gamble yeah you right, wanted 16 you wanted a whiskey and water you ordered it if you could pay for it and reach up and get it they'd give it to you <laughs> that's awesome yeah i tell you what we're gonna get into uh how you got into rodeo um, this is awesome. Um, we're you, you're starting the rodeo business. We're gonna do that, but we need a gold buckle beer. First. Gold buckle beer break. We're gonna get you one, Bob. Okay, right, buddy. We'll be right back. Started off with this. <laughs> I've, I've lost track of all the matters we played. This is a very good friend of yours, Bobby T. Little Red. Everybody's a friend of Tolman. Yeah. You know that's that's what's rodeo. Talk about a legacy to be in the business for coming on a half century like Bob has. I don't know. I can't think of one person that would say I can't stand that son of a bitch. Well, and I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, but that goes to speak to to a legacy, and I just that just crossed my mind, and that's that's amazing because it, it's true though. Like everybody loves Bob Tolman. Like if you try to walk anywhere with Bob, like in Vegas during the NFR, it's, it's like an, Elvis. It's an hour and thirty two minute to get five, maybe fifty foot, because everybody wants to stop and say hi. But you know the thing about Bob that I like is Benny Butler once said, <laughs> if 
Bob Tallman could sit down with ISIS for an hour, they would all be in USA hats by the time he left. <laughs> I'd like to have that chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, we don't want you with ISIS. So anyway, sorry. No, we, that's, give me a shot at him, boys. <laughs> we, Everybody uh, else has failed. <laughs> So we uh, we get off track, but anyway. So let's. Uh, so you're working jobs, you're rodeoing, you just get married. Yeah. What? Wh- where's the transition to the microphone? Okay, the transition started here. Um, all all I wanted to be was a cowboy, mm-hmm. and and I didn't. I never focused on being a champion, because I focused on the lifestyle, and I loved. Tall crowned hats and high heel boots. I've been wearing Justin boots for 50 years, okay? Um, I have wore every style kind of hat and transition. I've had every kind of hairdo from uh, a butch haircut to uh, short today to a ponytail. You had a, a di- ponytail? In a diamond stud oh. in my ear oh, back yeah. in the 70s. A perm? Oh, yeah. You've never seen his perm? I've never oh seen Tom. When I started at Fort Worth in 1976, I had a ponytail way down the middle of my back, and I tucked it down the back and of my shirt. Neil Gay didn't cut it off with his knife. No, no. Bob <laughs> Watt hired me that way at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. And I said, do you want me to get a haircut? And he said, I don't think so. He said, I'm not hiring your hair. I'm hiring your voice. So when this all started in 1969, 1970, Kristen and I get married, and we lived in a house that was 700 square feet. Okay, my motor home, yours, this beautiful trailer, this Logan coach that we're in right now, Hammies, um, we're nearly as big as a house. Okay, now I had two or three horses, saddle horses, and um, this is where 4-H made a difference in my life. Okay, I learned in 4-H and 4-H horsemanship, which I'm proud to say I was a national champion, riding a Mustang Colt that a man roped right beside me when I was 14 years old, John DeLong. Still alive today, him and Hank Angus. Okay? When I started in the rodeo business, I um, I just took off. I had an old dear friend that I used to rope with. His name was Vern Ryan. And I carried his speakers and used to put them up on announcer stand. And then I'd go rope. And then he and I'd rope and the rodeo's over. Never thought that I'd ever be a rodeo announcer. So I decided I'm going to be a rodeo announcer. Just decided it one day. And Kristen went, okay, that's fine. Well, I'm still doing these other jobs and stuff. So I, I bought this. I had a friend, Bob Davidson, who helped me. We went somewhere. He had a catalog, a big old catalog. We bought four university, 36-inch university horns with these 50-pound drivers on them and the wires. And oh. I mounted them on a tuba 12. And I would set those on, on my little shell camper on my pickup. And I would go around town before the rodeo, telling everybody the rodeo's at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, get your tickets, come on. Sounds Just like what you did. Yeah. Same deal. I got fired from my sound car days, but. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I would. Anyhow, back to your story. Yeah, well, I had a language barrier that I had to get used to as well. Right. Because um, they'd buck somebody off and I'd say, ah, shit, that wasn't so good, Benny. Ah, dang, rump, you know. And um, I learned political correctness fairly early. So, Kristen and I had an eight-track cart player that was an add-on in my pickup. And I'd get all these tapes. Marty Robbins was probably the best. And we couldn't edit out the deal, so um, I'd get all of the instrumental stuff that I could. And we'd program those tapes for 8, 10, 12, 20 seconds. 
of all of that. I had all the front end stuff, and nobody was doing production like a real grand entry. So I'd organize a real grand entry, and we'd do all of that, and uh, I'd have somebody pray, or I'd pray, and we'd sing the national anthem and do all of that, and then we'd buck them. And so I started at Battle Mountain, Elko, Lovelock, um, Tonopah, Nevada. And when I was doing that, I tried for a couple of times to get to ride a bucking horse and then rope after the rodeo, so forth and so on, didn't work. Well, the bucking horse riding was not going to be my feature anyway, so did the roping thing, rope calves and team rope. And then I could figure out that wasn't going to work because they were paying me 100 200 bucks a day. And there's a bunch of young rodeos out there, young rodeo announcers out there would go work for $300 a day. Well, you can kiss my patootie, boys, because I'm going to tell you something right now. You can say ass. You can kiss my ass, boys. <laughs> you're, you're sucking a hind tit is what you're doing <laughs> because you ain't going to make it giving it away and paying for that big fancy bloomer trailer that you got with all them sponsors on your shirts that don't give you any money when yeah. you make a deal you make it for money love will come later yeah and um that's the way it works so, write that down <clears throat> what do you what do you say no your your all-time one of your all-time great sayings about the dress yeah what is that the difference between a dress and a difference oh the between... different difference between a two-bit hooker and a hundred dollar whore yeah is a silk gown. <laughs> you want to wear cotton the rest of your life, or you want to dress up, boys? Come on. <laughs> and that's the truth, guys. So Amen. That's the truth. And Amen. Jesus, Jesus will back that for me. So when you're playing these eight-track tapes, and, and it, so how many eight-track tapes would it take you to get through a performance? A big, big cardboard box, and then some of them I could, I'd have four and five tracks on it, and so I'd make a little notch on it with my pencil or something, and kind of go from there. And Mom would help me do it. Yeah, you, you know? drive down the road and queue them up or something, wouldn't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and queue them up and get them ready to go. So I, would, I did this for like three years. Uh, Nevada, Idaho, um, Oregon, California. And I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I wanted an RCA card. I still have my pen. I still have a copy of my card. And uh, so I am going to go. Now, you're going to love this story. I'm going to go to the RCA convention at the Brown Palace Hotel in Denver, Colorado. It was held in conjunction with the National Western Rodeo and Stock Show. That place is amazing. Still go there. I still the go Brown there. Brown Palace? And, to, and, oh, I love and it. have dinner at it's the Ship's yeah. Tavern. Great yes. restaurant. So my partner, Boyd Paul Hamus, is the announcer there now. I've been there. Hadley's been there. Mm -hmm. Don Ensley's been there. So I go to that convention. So I get on Southern Pacific Railroad on a train passenger train and i've got an easel i got a, a 16 by 24 picture of me in a sport coat with a white hat that i bought from cotton's cowboy corral at the cow palace in san francisco <laughs> bought my Still first open. one from cotton when i was 12 uh, 520 uh 5th street marysville, yeah, california. marysville california and so god bless cotton rosser amen i mean he changed my life he's held my life and he still holds my life yeah and so I get on that train, and I got two sport coats and my jeans and two ties and this easel and some business cards. And so I go into the Brown Palace Hotel and go up to where they had all the contract stuff, and I set up my easel, but I didn't put up my picture yet. I didn't lay any business cards out yet. So go to dinner someplace that night, eat around there, whatever. But on the way there, the train froze up. The steam froze up on 
the salt flats oh, in Utah. Yeah, froze up. So we spent uh, most of the afternoon and part of an evening before they got it thawed out, and away we went go to Denver. I don't remember how I got from the train station to the Brown Palace Hotel, but I got there. So the next day, I meet a guy named Tommy Lucia. Hmm. And I don't know why, God bless him and rest his soul, and I've told Anthony this story a thousand times, um, Tommy Lucia decided to take me by the arm. And he took me up on the balcony that overlooks that big, because the business wasn't done in the contract room. Business was done in the hotel lobby. And he pointed out, he said, that's Jay Harwood. That's Mel Lambert. That's Italian. That's Smokey Bogus. That's who they are. Leon and Vicki Adams. I saw Vicki Adams the other day. She said, oh, Bobby, I remember the first time I saw you show up. She said, you were skinny as a pencil. And I'm trying to get back there now. But... That's how the business was handled. I go up to the contact room where I had that easel and I'd put my picture up. Pete Logan and some of my dear friends had taken like a Marks a lot, you know, a Sharpie today. And they colored out my teeth and put a big mustache on me <laughs> and glasses. Dicks. <laughs> and Pete Logan told me he used to always stuck a cigarette stuck in his mouth out of the horn. He said, I'll tell you something, kid. They tell me you got a sound system. I said, yes, sir, I do. Well, you better sell a son of a bitch because we don't allow that. That's that's up to the rodeo to have a sound system. And I just kind of stood there and it ran right down my leg. You know, Pete Logan told me that. And um, uh, Mel Lambert was as genuine as they come. Chuck Parkinson was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So I go, I go through the entire convention. I can't book nothing. Vic Carmen, my dear friend still today. And I would go across the street because we couldn't afford the ship's tavern or eat in the cafe. <laughs> and we went across the street, and Vic says, I'm going to show you something. We're going to eat for two bucks. I said, okay. So he orders a big bowl of rice, hot water for tea, two pitchers for each of us. We pour that hot water in that coffee cup and put ketchup in it, made tomato soup, and put that tomato soup, put rice in that coffee cup with it. And we did every day for lunch. We'd go over there and do that for two bucks, dollar piece. Holy shit! Yeah. Well, I didn't have a whole lot of money. I didn't have any, you know. Sure. They, they make hundred dollar bills in <laughs> Texas out of cotton. I I knew what a hundred dollar bill was, and it was something genuine. And I wasn't carrying any of them. So I went back and I tried. To, I talked to every rodeo committee I could. I went home. And I had a rodeo, one rodeo. Vic Carmen got doubled up with an Indian rodeo in Tucson, Arizona. He gave me the Indian rodeo. Me and a guy um, uh, named Dennis Romasco drove from Winnemucca in a little camp trailer all the way to Tucson. I did an Indian rodeo. They didn't really have a sound system. They hung some speakers up, and I stood on a bale of hay so I could see over the fence. I don't remember what it paid, but I know it cost more to go there to do it than anything else. So... Kristen and I sat down, and she there was 300 rodeos then. And we hand-wrote a letter to every rodeo chairman there was in the RCA and mailed them. One guy who was the head of the rodeo at Brawley, California, Cattle Chuck Call. Parkinson, okay, wrote me back a letter. And he said, you come see me. And I had met him in Denver. And I couldn't remember which guy he was, but I knew he was cool because he was a Tony Lama boot salesman. And he announced the rodeo then at Houston, Texas, where we sit today. Neat man. Neat man. Oh, wonderful man. Okay, so I get a job with Bob Cook, Jack yep. Roddy, 
and uh, and Jack Sparrick. RSC Rodeo is just yeah. starting up. February 3rd, 1972, I drive to Clemens, California, and I've got a shell camper on the back of my little Ford pickup. Shell camper. Half-inch piece of plywood, four inches of foam, and a bedroll. And what clothes I could take and hang in a little corner closet. And I lived with Enoch Walker. Enoch and Maggie Walker. Enoch Walker was a Canadian uh, champion bronc rider, yeah. one of the top 15 in those I've days. I've heard that name. I've yeah. heard that oh, name, yeah. If Nicole, my daughter, would have been a boy, we'd have named her Enoch. And I'll get to that part of the story about having kids like Gus and uh, your triplets and so forth and so on, what that'll do to you in the rodeo business. So I go there. My first job is Bob Cook had bought, rent, leased, borrowed this old truck, set of doubles, and we were putting new tires on the old rims. They're split rims. And so for four days, we broke down them tires with sledgehammers and put new tires on them on that truck. And, I mean, lug nuts weighed seven pounds apiece. And split rims would kill you if they come off wrong. I mean, cut you in half. But I'd been around a tire shop. I'd worked in a in a tire shop in a shell station in Winnemuck as a kid. I knew what not to do. Then he'd bought most of this rodeo stock from an older gentleman named Bob Barnby, one of the greats World War II uh, rodeo producers. Took his own arena, put on rodeos. And he had a ranch at Linden, California, not far from Clements. And so they bought like 130 head of bucking horses. I didn't know this was going to happen. So we go over there one day. Enix got a bronc saddle, his. And they haltered every one of them horses. And as fast as we could get one done, Enix would tether them horses. And I'd get on them and run that bronc rein up through the swells in that saddle. And after about 15 head in one day, I didn't have any hide left. Oh. On the outside of my legs and or on the inside tore my shaps off about the third one and so we just go get on and bob, old bob barnby was there and i'd i'd reach they had a rope come up over the top to trip the latch on that gate i'd trip the latch on that gate and then get a hold with both hands and hang on and Enoch could tether them testing them to buck them the barnby studs oh my god now the <laughs> bulls this is where oscar came from this is where all of that stuff come from these were the days when that happened Spinner, bull number 11, Gary LaFue will attest to this, was Oscar's daddy. Later in life, we got a DNA. I hauled Spinner to a guy named Oscar Hurd at Riverbank, California, down by Oakdale, left him, bred the cows, 18 months later went back and picked up little Oscar the bull. He weighed 600 pounds. Never weighed over 1,000. The Oscar. The Oscar. The original Oscar. Huh. And he was a wuss. He was a pussy. <laughs> we had to keep him with the roping calves. Couldn't put him with the Mexican, with the team roping cattle because they'd whip on him. Jeez. Okay? So he was a wuss, and we hand, handled him that way. Later in life, when he got to be four, five, six years old, and Alan Jordan can tell you these stories, I mean to the T as I'm telling them to you today. Uh, Kristen and I had this house horse trailer built by Buff Dowlett in Fort Worth, Texas, and I had three horse deal in the back. This is where we raised Nicole in a cardboard box. And we'd load two, two pickup horses, two saddle horses, and then run Oscar up in there because you could take a stick and drive him like you would a pig at the fair. <laughs> and we'd run him up in there, and they'd be alfalfa hay, and he was just fine. We'd shut the tailgate. We'd take him home. We'd take him home. If we put him on the truck, you put him in the doghouse in the back or on the nose, and he had a pet chicken. 
And that chicken would wait for that truck to come back. If you load him in the truck, if not, if we loaded him in the trailer, that chicken would wait for him and then jump off the fence and get on his back and go with him with the roping calves because you couldn't put him with the other bulls. He'd run and hide in the corner and them bulls would whip his ass. It sounds like a Disney movie. <laughs> it is. But Oscar this, this went chicken. on and on and on. That's where I cut my teeth. That's where I really learned because in the first year, um, when I went to work for them guys, I did everything from pick up bucking horses to you name it. Um, and because Lex Conley was there to announce, Chuck Parkinson was there to announce, Mel Lambert was there to announce. Finally, that spring, they let me work a rodeo at Clovis, California College Rodeo. And I was also on the feed crew at the same time. Feeding a t shirt, put on a start shirt, go up, announce the rodeo, take that off, put your t shirt back on, and go feed bucking horses and bulls and drive a truck and haul them as well. Same, same deal, Benny Butler. I love you. Think about what your dad taught you, what you've taught Rump, what Hammy knows how it works. Um, these are the things that make it work. The only thing I never got to do was spend a summer with Bob Barnes. And, um, and I love Bob Barnes. And Boyd's told the stories and everything else. But and I, I wish a lot of those, the, the younger guys coming up, would, would, would think about that. Because, you know, like, I, Hambone, you did too. When you first came to Houston, you were on the Tyne Event crew. I, I ran just at this rodeo. I've ridden up. I was a, I'd ride a pivot horse. <laughs> yeah. I've ridden a pivot horse. I, <clears throat> I, I, I ran the Tyne Event in. I've loaded bulls during when they used to have an extreme bulls. Obviously, no time event, so I would go in the back and help load bulls, um, pick up flanks, all that stuff. I've been coming here for fifteen years, but I mean, but I did that too. Like, I, and I said in the last last episode, you know, uh, I wouldn't be in the rodeo business without the surveys. So that's how I, you know, growing up being kids, that's what you did. You went and you fed and you did all this stuff. Every, everything. You know, uh, I've tried to announce, you know, and that wasn't my forte, but so, it, but it makes you better at your job because you Appreciate. see everything that's going on. You know, I didn't just come in, oh, this kid would be good at music. I like him. You know, let's have him. No, hey, he come. was working for me at, uh, in Weatherford, Texas. <clears throat> yep. Working that's- for me for 50 bucks a day and sleeping in and, a spare bedroom. Installing cameras. I got a date with a kindergarten teacher through. Pre- <laughs> Pro, provision. provision. Uh, Tallman had bought the security camera company. Was she hot? Uh, yeah. Yeah, she was. And and uh, me and Chalupa, our uh, Albert Zabala, we are installing. We're running cable and you know installing cameras in a school. In, uh, oh. South of my, my, uh, yeah, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's where I always stop uh, uh, for a sandwich. Anyway, just south of Fort Worth. <laughs> And we'd get there, and, and we're installing the camera, whatever, and, and this teacher, you know, said hi. And she's a young gal, obviously. You know, this isn't like, like, it isn't like your she, uh, kindergarten she teacher. She was like Mrs. Trimley, who's was 78. Yeah, so. And who's been 78 for nine years. So, uh, and then another teacher came up, and she said, hey, you know, um, and she and starts talking, she and she gets all my note? info. <laughs> yeah, literally, it was kind of like that. It was kind of funny. And so I asked, and then on the last day of the job, you know, <laughs> Chalupa's was like, just go ask her, you pussy. You know, just go get you know, go get a date. So I did. did. I, I caught her in the in the hallway, and I said, "Hey, you know, you want to meet up?" And we all met up with a bunch of us. There was a bunch of friends. We were down and went with the White Elephant in Fort Worth, and all of our, you know, all of my buddies and stuff, and friends. And we were at the and she ne- we hung out, and then I never heard from her again. Yeah, so it's where we, it's where you turn off of I thirty five South. 
um, at the Subway Sandwich Store, May. What's the name of it? May. May Pearl. May Pearl, Texas. May Pearl, Texas. But, yeah. But back to sorry. <laughs> before side we, note. Before we derail, Holy though, shit. like I think a lot of people, even with Bob and and you, and I don't, you know, a lot of people don't realize that I I worked for Benny Butler for, well, pretty much since I was That's twelve how years I met old. You. you know, so like. You don't just get to start off in the business. You don't just go, hey, I want to be a rodeo clown or an announcer and a bullfighter. You know, even Tuckness. You know, that dude started off on the feed crew. Cody Webster, oh, yeah. here. I mean, started off on the feed crew. You don't just get to go, hey, I want to be in the rodeo business. Boom. But some some people, that, I mean, they do, but it does. That's that makes you the greats, in my opinion. Like those guys, you, Bob, that's what makes them so good is because you have all that experience well from a so production you can, you, you, standpoint well, you can see things you yeah. can see maybe okay that that pick man he you know he's having a tough time so i'm gonna have to fill on, on this end here or or oh that calf they're uh you know they're having trouble with the barrier and I'm, you can see that out of the corner of your eye as you're talking or going okay we're gonna have to fill here i can see it coming you know but a lot of guys who have never ran a barrier or never picked up a bronc never don't know that i think that's what set people above the, the those who just come in by knowing somebody well the thing what really kicked me into gear after a few years with rsc rodeos and um you have to understand cotton rosser gave me a start flew me to my first indoor rodeo at long beach california with cotton in that 206 airplane okay um then a guy named mike servey um took a liking to me saw me at fort worth with his friend billy minnick and he said, okay, took me to Phoenix to the JC's Rodeo. Took me, got me into Denver. Helped me to go to Fort Worth and stay solid with these big rodeo committees. And so I'd go to Denver and then Fort Worth because it didn't overlap in those days. And go to Phoenix in the spring and Greeley, Colorado. And Mike Servey took me and from a, from a pretty high position for a kid, launched me to the top. That's what Mike Servey did for me. Tell you other quick story about Mike Servey. I had a radio network called the Great American Cowboy. Mm-hmm. I you called bet. him on a Sunday night. I said, Mike, I need to borrow $19,000. And uh, I don't care what kind of interest I can get. Do you know a bank I can borrow? It? He said, Yeah, I do. He said, The money will be in your bank account. Get me the, call me back, give me the wiring instructions tomorrow morning. I call him back, I give it to him. He sent me $20,000. Took a year to pay it off. For the Great American Cowboy Radio Network. And I got ready and I called his accountant at Rogan and I said, I need to pay you some interest. And he said, Hold on a minute. He covers a phone up with his hand. That was before hold buttons. <laughs> sure. He covers a phone up with his hands and Mike I heard Mike Servey say, That kid ain't paying me no interest. And away we went. Okay. So Mike Servey did a lot of other things for me and introduced me to Matt Dryden and all of a sudden I'm in Florida. He introduced me to somebody else. But another mentor that I had that I don't know why he liked me was Clem McSpadden. Hmm. Okay? And this is where I met Elra, Jiggs Butler, John Snow, um, all of those guys. I had been in the business five years. And all of a sudden, they decide I need to go to the NFR in Oklahoma City. And I did it with Jay Harwood. God bless Buster Ivory. We take off the very first performance. Jay Harwood's Indian man from Montana. And they called him Indian. Just normal. God, what a great guy. 
He and Alice have eaten their house many, many times in Montana. Um, we take off in the bareback riding the first year I go to the NFR, and it just left me in a blur. But it's over, and here comes little Buster Ivory over there, and he's shaking his finger. You Indian son of a buck, I'm going to tell you something. You give this kid a chance. Don't you run off and bury him like that again. He said, I'll come up there and fix you up. That's what Buster Ivory said. <laughs> Fix you up. Now, I had worked for Buster Ivory for four years on the midnight feeding crew and sort at five in the morning. Fifteen bucks a day was my paycheck at the NFR. And it was fine because we'd feed in the morning and then we'd go to lunch, Carl Swizzle and I, Carl Schnabley, Jerry Mariluch, and then we'd do the rodeo at night and load and I'd help Bob Cook flank and do all them bucking horse things in the bulls. That's the first time I watched Pete Gay ride Oscar. I mean, rode him. No shaps, rode him. And um, so I was around all of them guys. But Clem McSpadden, June Ivory. Wasn't uh, Clem the production manager yes. of the yeah. finals? He was the very yes. first GM, wasn't he? Yes, yes. And did a marvelous job. Him and Stanley Draper Jr., head of the Chamber of Commerce in Oklahoma City, were tight. So, as all of, i got, I got a thousand ways to tell the little bits and pieces of this story. But you have to understand, uh, so Jay Harwood and I took off. We get to the calf rope and Barry Burke's up. And I thought, you know, Dean Oliver and Jim Bob Altizer were my heroes as kids, watching them remote calves. And so Barry Burke is up. And I didn't know Barry Burke, but 13 times he went to the NFR and was a bridesmaid. And he gets ready to rope a calf, and I got them people jacked up in that arena. And he goes to this horse is fidgeting in the box. I try to quiet him down. But he's from Oklahoma. You know, he didn't live but an hour from there. Yeah. And so he finally ropes his calf, and he rides by and goes to eating my ass out on the announcer stand for having them people all jacked up. Clem McSpadden walks up, puts his hand on my shoulder, and points his finger at Barry Burke, and he said, Let me tell you something, Yoki, son of a bitch. Here's the deal. You don't bring a colt to the NFR, and I leave the kid alone right out of here. That's that, awesome. That was, that was Clem McSpadden. Had your back. Yeah, yeah, Don Federson, Alfalfa's daddy. Oh, yeah. And um, that's how it got handled. Then I got elected to the board of directors, and I found out how really the business handled. You had a problem, everybody cleared out, and you had a fist fight. I, I, I really honestly, and this is going to sound stupid, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the fist fight. You know, <laughs> bring that shit back, because like there is so many times when you get upset with somebody, and... It would just be better just to get it over with. Well, ready. now you go to Facebook and cuss them. Yeah, oh, I know about that. Or get a petition going. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this guy sucks. But, like, back in the early days, of the, was the when did Sean Davis, did he start at, in 1985, the first years in Vegas? So, Clem had it. Well, Sean Davis was prevalent, like, in 1980 and became good friends with Benny Binion. And so, when the move came, he and Benny Binion were, they were tight. Yeah. Okay? So, all of that political stuff and... I can remember I was on the board of directors then when we moved from Oklahoma City to out there. And they said it was like a $44 million economic impact in Oklahoma City. Well, you couldn't get a ham sandwich at 1030 at night. Yeah. And so if you didn't drink, you went to the hotel and smoked and went to bed. <laughs> that was a deal. <laughs> and um, Did that during the Extreme Bowls there last year. Uh, now, you got to understand something. I stood amongst... The Tommy Steiners, the Elra Butlers, 
all of the greats. Um, I can remember seeing all them old timers, and they were in a three-piece suit with a. We used to have this bucking horse sale that John Snow produced um, outside of Oklahoma City there, and there they would stand and they'd bid on them bucking horses. They'd buck one, Bobby Brown, and get on six in a day there, him and Hawkeye, and then get on a horse at night at the NFR. Um, it was tough times, and I'm not talking about tough because you didn't get enough money. It was, You were either tough or you didn't make it. Yeah. And Anymore, that was the grade. You couldn't talk anybody to getting on a, a, a horse at a sale and then get no, on. No, let alone well, five or six head of them. You'd get fined. Yeah. You know, and that's what I love. I was watching some old NFR videos from Oklahoma City because, you know, being from Ponca City, Oklahoma, and I've I've got to work uh, several events at, at uh, Jim Norick Arena there in Oklahoma oh, yeah. City. And the old NFR, the, mm-hmm. the thing that I loved in – I understand we're in a day and age of production and this is that and that is that and you can't stand on the shoots unless your animal's out. But back in the Oklahoma City days, everybody's just standing in the arena. Like Yeah. Yeah. They're Rodeo just, producers, cowboys, oh, contestants, calf ropers. There was a guy sitting uh, uh on that video from seventy six with Chris Ledoux, uh riding that buckskin horse. There's a dude just sitting there. Just sitting in the corner of the I love arena. It. So like, it was a laid back. I feel like it was more laid back. I'm sure it's a time absolutely. Maybe it felt more absolutely. Now we got lasers and lights and big sound. And although going back to those old bell horns, you could hear them eight miles away. Oh yeah, <laughs> they would throw some sound. But uh, my story about that building is I worked a so the uh, Cutting Horse Association wanted to make the, the some of their events more exciting. So they're bringing in um, at Hadley. Um, uh, was doing Oklahoma City, and then I came in to do music. And I had n- never even been to a cutting. I had no idea, but they said, so Hadley and I kind of walked through it. But a surreal moment in my career was standing next to Hadley in that building. He talked about him announcing the NFR in that building. And I'm like, this is just – here. this is 12, 13 years ago. Someday can we do – It was really, really surreal to be a, a young kid standing oh, yeah. next to a giant – who was also really, really small. <laughs> yeah. In that building. It was, it, it was, but cool. he was a giant. He still is in my life. 41 years of my life, I had Adley Barrett. Yep. I still miss him today. Me Someday, too. could we just do the three of us? Could we just do a tribute to Hadley Barrett? Because I got Hadley Barrett story, stories that'll kick your butt. Well, let's get into that. We're, uh, we're actually going to, this is the end of part one. We got, uh, we got some stuff, but I'm, I'm going to play some little Hadley right now. But this is, Come back next week. We've got episode two because Tolman is going to take two episodes. Right. Thank you, Bob. We'll be back. Enjoy it. See you guys. See you next week. Yes. Thank y'all. Drifting into deep water. I'm starting to care for you. Do.